Well, good morning, everyone. It's fantastic to see you all today. Uh, today, I've been asked to look at the not at all small question of how can I have faith? Or perhaps looking at things from a slightly different angle uh, for us as well. Also, how can my faith develop? How can it come to a greater maturity? How can I gain a greater understanding of God? And to do that today, I'm wanting to look a little bit at the book of Hebrews. And so if you have your Bibles uh, with you in whatever form, um, I'd encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter um, 11. We are going to have a look at the opening verses of that and a biblical explanation of faith. We're then going to look at um, about half the chapter and the examples, person after person, as to what they do, what might they be able to tell us about faith today and our own situations. And then to conclude, we're going to have a look at a couple of verses from Paul where we really get back to focusing on, well, if faith is about trust and hope, in a Christian context, what is that hope and trust that we are talking about? Just to underscore that. So let's start off thinking about the word itself. So the Hebrew for this word means, for the most part, to be true. And lying behind the root of that is the idea of being solid, being firm. So how can what we believe in, have firm foundations, okay? And then when it comes to, well, what are those foundations that we're talking about when we talk about the word faith, it can be one of these words that's quite complex to unpack and understand because we actually, we use it to refer to a number of different um, uh, legs on the chair, sort of foundations, whatever image you want to use um, to um, convey something about our relationship with God. And as I read a wee bit, and as I thought a wee bit, I sort of came to um, some of the uh, terms you see up on the screen here. So at the centre, we have faith, and then what is that faith supported by? Well, it's supported by relationship. In our context, that's relationship with one another. That's relationship with God. And it's also about learning to trust one another, about learning to trust God. It's about reason and evidence. And we can think of that in both an intellectual sense, but also in a sense, very much of personal reactions as well. Um, do we see beauty in, nat uh, in nature? Do we respond to that? Do we see evidence of creation and de uh, design in creation and the work of a God um, crafting the world? Then when it comes to faith, we have questions of obedience and action. And those can be dramatic, but they also are very much the small and the everyday as well. 
Let's come to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read through together verses 1 to 16. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking about the country that they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So coming to verse 1, we have the question of what it is that we hope for. And then from that hope, 
we have an assurance. We are reassured about the things that we do not see. So let's be explicit and clear towards the beginning here. What is that hope? That's a relationship with our Creator Father made possible through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life animated by the Spirit of the living God working within the believer. And what about this idea of assurance in verse 1? For me, when I thought about this, this is about accepting that there are limitations to our own understanding. And personally, that's also about acknowledging to you the imperfections in my own faith and my own actions, my own struggles with doubt. And so if you come here saying, well, I struggle with doubt, let me reassure you that I'm here speaking to you and I'm in the same boat. If any of what we do this morning is relevant um, and that Jesus' mission is actually something that applies to you and me, um, we can look at something like Mark 2.17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not called to come the righteous, but the sinners. We have, hopefully, to take that word as we read it. Hebrews 11.2. We, we're getting made clear here that these people are part of a lineage here. Their story of faith and their triumphs and their struggles with their faith, with their relationship with God, with their actions and obedience, with their um, relationship and uh, trust, and um, with their reason and understanding. Their struggles and their triumphs um, fit into a wider picture, a wider story of faith, one of which that we are a part of, both as individuals, but also as a church community. We need to be prepared to and acknowledge the fact that we will have moments of highs and moments of lows, not just in the events that will take place um, in our church family, but also in where we're at collectively with God. Verse 3 God is sovereign. We're, we're speaking here about the creation of the universe, that God commanded it into being. And when it comes to discussing these questions of, um, of creation, I think sometimes um, though we may end up in the beginnings of a discussion with those of a very scientific bent, um, for whom, if we think back to this here, reason and evidence is the only stool of the chair that people are looking at. And I think we do have a defensible intellectual case to be made for a God who worked actively to create this universe. Um, understandings of exactly the times and the processes have evolved and changed as our scientific understanding has grown deeper. But as we share and as we listen to our friends and our family and those that we meet, 
who might choose to raise this as a topic with us, I would encourage you, as well as discussing reason and evidence, discuss what relationship and trust means to you, and discuss what obedience and action means to you as well. Verse 4, we come to Abel, who we read about in Genesis chapter 4. So what did Abel do? Well, he tended flocks, and his brother Cabel tended the soil. So um, basically, at harvest time, what would Abel have had? He would have had animals. What would Cain have had? He would have had his fruit, his vegetables, um, his grains, etc. Um, and the thing here is, come that harvest time, what happens? Abel brings the choicest cut, what the Bible describes as the, the fat portions, the best bits of um, his harvest to God. Cain brings a few vegetables. But the thing here, I don't think this is a story that says, you know, God's actually a passionate meat eater. That's not this at all. What this is about is Abel's obedience comes from the generosity in his heart of his gift. Whilst um, for Cain, the implication that we get is that, yes, he was acting out of obedience, but it was perhaps to be maybe uncharitable, he's not here to defend himself, more of a past the standard, box ticked, job done. And how does God react? God is pleased with both, but he is especially pleased with the generosity of Abel's gift. Cain is jealous, and he murders his brother. And from that, what, what do we see? Well, for Abel, he was obedient to God by, the generosity that, uh, by acting on the generosity that was in his heart. When we talk about obedience, it's worth remembering as we gather here each Sunday that praise is also part of our obedience. And did God get to see the fullness of God's blessings in the form of a rich and long life? No, he got murdered. And so here we have someone held up as a, as a hero of faith, it's sometimes described, and we see how he had a vision of the blessings that God provided, and yet he only got to see dimly. We come to someone I find very mysterious but fascinating because of that mystery, a guy called Enoch. And we read about him just a chapter along in Genesis 5. He's, he's noted in the predominantly male lineage, lineage that we get um, recounted in Genesis 5 of the people from Adam to Noah. Now, here in this period of time, some of the things that stand out are these people lived a really, really long time. Far older than any of us would reasonably expect today. Hundreds upon hundreds of years. In fact, interestingly enough, when we get to Genesis 6-3, God, and I'm paraphrasing here, says 120 years, and that's your lot from now on. And funnily enough, that remains true even today. And so, for each of these people in the lineage, we find out a few things. We find out what age they had some children, and a little bit about them. We find out how long they lived for, 
and then that they died. Enoch, however, the situation is left a little bit more open, a little bit more ambiguous. What does it say? Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more um, because God took him away. What does that mean? There's a mystery here that we can't tie up neatly with a bow. There was a blessing that in his time walking on earth that Enoch must have seen, that relationship with God as something deep and profound. Yet, as we read later in these verses, there's more being held out. And so, for me, this verse is all about appreciating the mysteries and wonder of God, and that there are rewards in those mysteries. Think about the song Oceans. Think about what Jonathan Grove shared with us last week about taking the step into somewhere a little bit unknown. Verse 7, we come to Noah. Why did Noah build an ark? Well, the reason is fairly simple. Genesis 6, 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Now, faith doesn't have to be flashy. We play a part in God's story, even if we're not the brightest or the best by human standards. And the thing we need to understand from what we read in Genesis 6 is it doesn't explicitly say, oh, and Noah was by far the most capable architect of his generation. What mattered was that relationship, that obedience, um, that trust. And what do we get here? We get the story of Noah, we get the flood, and we get a covenant what do we mean by covenant? It's a relationship backed up by a promise, a promise from God. And the thing is, this covenant that we see fleshed out over the course of the succeeding books in the Old Testament, we see that it's a mutual thing. There are mutual obligations. And that is true of a living and active faith for each of us as believers today. I love some of the words from Genesis, the very beginning of Genesis 8, where after the flood, what does it say? God remembered Noah. And in our times of doubt, our times of struggle, think back to Noah. God remembered him. We have limitations. We have difficult relationships. And even for someone who's a great patri uh, uh, patriarch of the faith, what do we read about when we come to Genesis 9? We read about bitter family divisions that result from the different motivations of his sons. And so with pain, uh, with faith, there can be pain, there can be misunderstandings, there can be loss. But hopefully from there, there can be learning, there can be growth, there can be healing, there can be reconciliation. Verses 8 to 12, we have Abraham and Sarah. When we think about faith, we may ask ourselves questions like, is God real? But we also might actually ask questions like, am I relevant to God's plans? 
And I do wonder whether that would have been a question that would have uh, been raised for Abraham and Sarah. Uh, living a long life, by all accounts, a fairly uneventful life until that sort of last portion of their lives. But everyday obedience, everyday following, showed that for them, that God had a plan. He blessed Abraham and Sarah uh, to have many descendants to form God's people. And so what does this say about God's character? That he uses those who are unexpected, that he is willing to push, to challenge a little bit. And verse 10, Abraham obeys by imagining ahead. He envisions what God has got planned. And for us, we need to be doing a little bit of the same. We need to be asking the Holy Spirit to equip us to imagine what is ahead. Faith is, I don't want me to uh, bring any sort of misunderstanding, faith is partly an act of the imagination. It is looking ahead and imagining what God might have in store, being excited by those possibilities, to use perhaps a different word. Faith is about vision, individual vision, collective vision, and that individually we get a piece of the puzzle. Collectively, we can discern, we can get a clearer picture together as a community of faith empowered by the Spirit than we can on our own. Faith and hope, verses 13 to 16. So there's knowing and there's understanding. Greater things have yet to come. And yet, with what we read, I, they, they, put, they put down tents and they imagined a city. Think about Noah. Think about him building an ark. Sometimes what God calls people to do is going to alienate us from the consensus view of the world around us. And that doesn't mean just because everyone is against us that we are right. That would be a wrong influence to draw. But we do need to recognize that the fundamental nature of what we believe stands distinct from the consensus values um, arrived at through human understanding on its own. What happens in the rest of this chapter, and I'd encourage folks to go and look at more of the examples in the second half of this chapter. We get more examples of different people and their faith. And we get the same point made as is made in verse 16, um, where it says that actually those believers, they did not get to see, they did not get to fully experience what God had promised because there is hope for a future. There is more that is planned. We come now to some words from Corinthians. And so... 
it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you with weakness, um, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not um, with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What really matters? Not a deep intellectual understanding. What really matters is that our faith rests on the right foundation. That foundation is God. That foundation is Jesus Christ. It is God's power. Romans 5, 1 to 6. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's, lo- because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. One point to make, what enables us to have our relationship with God? Christ dying on the cross. Lastly, Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We looked a little bit at Abraham and Sarah just there, and we said everyone has a role. We looked there at those words from Ephesians. Everyone has a role. And so on that note, remember faith, relationship and trust, reason and evidence, obedience and action as individuals, and as a church community supporting one another, equipped by the power of God's Holy Spirit transforming our lives. 
On that note, I will bring our time here to a close in prayer, and thank you very much for listening. Father God, we thank you that we can know you and that we have we recognize that we have limitations in our human frailties. But we can grow and mature and we can be challenged, Lord. And we recognize that the path forward isn't always a straightforward progression um, where everything just seems to get stronger and better every day. We take some steps forward, we take some steps back. Yet you understand, Lord. We thank you for the illustration that Roz shared earlier with the children, that sometimes we have to be willing to trust. We have to be willing to imagine a future where that trust is, justif uh, is justified. We have to be excited by imagining the possibilities of what you are calling us here in Bridge of Dawn to be and to do. Amen.